We are going through the book of John, um, generally speaking. So every now and then, we're going to just take a little bit of a detour just to clarify some things and uh, give us some direction in regards to certain issues. And today, we wanted to talk about a life that glorifies God, a life that glorifies God. Um, I attended a school in South Africa, and I remember reading the motto of our National Education Department. And this was a public school. And it was this, something of this, in, in this line, since it's uh, translated into English now, but it was in Afrikaans. It said something like this, Christian education for the glory of God. Can you believe that? Public schools in South Africa back in the day, that was their motto. Christian education for the glory of God. But I remember in high school looking at that, and it never really made sense to me because I didn't actually grasp the concept of God's glory. I understood what it meant to obey God. I understood what it meant to thank God. I understood what it meant to praise God. But what does it mean to glorify God? Have you ever asked that question to yourself? Obeying God is, I choose to do what the Bible tells me to do. Thanking God is raising your hands and saying, God, I thank you for everything you've done for me. Praising God is, God, I praise you for how great you are. But it's when it comes to glorifying God, we sometimes just throw all of those concepts into the basket and we think, okay, I guess that's what it means to glorify God, is to thank Him and to praise Him. Now, before that even, I remember back in um, elementary school, I attended a private music school for boys only called the Drakensberg Boys Choir School. It's right in the mountains of South Africa. It's absolutely gorgeous. And their motto was singing to the glory of God. And here at the same time, again, you know, that did not make sense to me because we did sing to God oftentimes hymns and so forth. And I figured that that was kind of praising God, but if that's praising God, what does it mean to glorify Him? Singing to His glory. And I think I was real practical, like my son. He went to school. Tina, what was that, second grade or third grade? And he comes back from school one day, and um, actually, we went to go see the teacher. He brought it home. He brought it home. Okay, so they were asked to let the teachers know, okay, so... What did you experience was really the question. But the way they phrased it was, what did you feel first day at school? And his answer was, wood. Because <laughs> he was sitting behind his desk. And when he asked, what did you feel? He said, I felt wood. <laughs> I think it gets a little bit that from me because I need to actually understand just in very simple terms, you know, what we're talking about. And to say the glory of God, my mind can't stretch there. I didn't understand it. I couldn't define it. And I couldn't participate in it. And so to break it down was my goal in life, I guess, <laughs> at least at this point in my life. Even in contemporary culture, you see somebody receive a reward, uh, an award after they've accomplished something, you know, and everybody's cheering and they're holding their Emmy or their Grammy and or their high school certificate or whatever, and they just want to thank mom, and I just want to give God all the glory. And then 
uh, I would look at that and wonder like, okay, so what in the world did they just do? They, they gave God credit for something, for this award, but then they go home with the award and they get cheered and everything, right? <laughs> and it almost, uh, you know, never really made sense to me. In Isaiah chapter 40, 43, verse 7, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You see, this literally means we were created for His glory, which means we will never fulfill the very reason we were born. We will never fulfill our purposes if we do not give Him glory. But I didn't know what that meant. I don't think most people know what that means other than just giving Him credit for all the good things that have come to your life. This question, what does it mean to glorify God now, became increasingly pressing to me because uh, um, I got onto the bus, onto the train one day, and I couldn't believe that the whole entire train, you know, like sometimes when you get on and the whole place is full, all the seats are taken, and you see people sitting there with their newspapers, hiding behind the newspaper, hiding behind a book, hiding behind a laptop, right? And then you, get, you always get this one guy completely knocked out. He's just like sleeping. But this day when I got onto the train, every single person was reading a book, The Purpose Driven Life. And I realized that is a big question inside of people. What is my purpose in life? And that purpose, of course, is the only thing that ultimately should drive me and there's n and my life has meaning because I am fulfilling that purpose. So this question became real pressing to me because I realized that we have been created for His glory and His glory alone. So hopefully today we will be able to establish a working definition of what it means to glorify God in our lives. What does it mean to glorify God with the job you have, with the company you run, how to glorify God in the relationships that you have, how to glorify God in your family and in your body. No matter what job you have, whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor, whether you're going through good times or whether you're going through bad times, what does it mean to glorify God in the state that you find yourself right now? Because until we do this, we are not fulfilling our purposes. And until we fulfill our purposes, we will never have a meaningful life. So there's, there are many different aspects to the glory of God. And to understand this would give you a road map in such a clear way. And that's my, that's my urgency in life, is to be clear. Is to not be misunderstood. I have such a passion for clarity. And so I want us to be able to walk out of these doors with a very clear road map as to where do I go in order to glorify God. <clears throat> the glory of God is like a diamond. It has many facets, each one of them breathtaking. I want to share two this morning, very practically. So the first question is, what is the glory of God? And with it, we're going to answer, how can we identify the person who actually glorifies God? How, how can you know this person here is glorifying God in their life? 
What, do you, what am I supposed to look for? So what is the glory of God? It is, are you ready? The beauty of God. God's beauty. That's His glory. I was at a pastor's meeting this week. And somebody quoted from D.L. Moody, one of his statements that he made, which I thought was, it, was, it just really took me, um, clarified so many things for me. <clears throat> but D.L. Moody said, the sure mark of a person who truly has been saved is the fact that they love God now for who He is. This is how you know somebody is actually saved. They can open up the Bible and they love the God they see. They love Him for who He is. And <clears throat> the glory of God is the beauty of God. It's when you open up the Bible and you can see the beauty of God everywhere. You can see His splendor. You can see His magnificence. You open up the Scriptures and you are blown away by who He is. You are so impressed with God. That's His glory. You are so taken by the excellence of God. That's His glory, His beauty. The splendor of God, however, is not so much material beauty as much as what it is an overwhelming awe and beauty expressed by His character, His person, and He Himself. The mind of God is beautiful. There's grandeur to His thoughts. There's excellence in the way He judges. And when you see this about God, you're seeing His glory. Now remember, I mentioned to you that the glory of God has multiple facets like a diamond does, right? And each one of them are mind-blowing, staggering. We're talking about one facet. It's the beauty of God. The glory of God can be evident in different ways. <clears throat> For instance, the glory of God can crown a man who glorifies Him. When you see a person who truly glorifies God, that is His crown. That is, that is His ultimate. That is Him maximized as a human being. So a man who glorifies God the glory of God becomes His crown. As opposed to the person who doesn't glorify God, he doesn't live toward the beauty and the grandeur, the excellence and the, the beauty of God. No, he lives towards himself. That is not his crown. That is him losing his crown. Does that make sense? So, <clears throat> the glory of God can be a man's crown or the glory of God can also fill the earth, the Bible says. It is seen within man and it's seen in the earth, but it is not of them. It is of God. In other words, when you see something staggeringly beautiful, it is not to be worshipped. It is only proof that the one you ought to worship is able and capable of something that's beautiful. 
And this is where human beings are so short-sighted. They always end up worshipping the created thing instead of the one who created it. It's what's behind this beautiful creation. That's the glory of God. That's the one we worship. It's going to get clearer as we go on, so just hang in there for a little bit, okay? So let's look at how nature and the creation glorifies God. In Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4, it says this, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet, their message has gone through the earth and their words to all the world. It's amazing. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. You see, the glory of God can be seen in the creation. But the creation isn't the source of that glory. It only reflects the glory of the one who created it. The glory of God is the backdrop to this beautiful universe. You see, this beautiful universe is a reflection of the greatness of the God you serve. It is a reflection of the intelligence of the God you serve. That's the glory of God. Is what's behind these things that reflect the one who created it. I want to show you an image of the Grand Canyon. I've never been there. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? Arizona? You see, it is, it is like standing on the edge of the highest point in the Grand Canyon. This is what the glory of God's like. It is not necessarily the picture of the Grand Canyon that takes your breath away. But what lies behind that creation that is so majestic. You know, if you were there standing looking across the Grand Canyon... It's, you're in awe of it, right? Savannah, you saw it, right? You had your hand raised. You're in awe of that beautiful, beautiful sight. It's overwhelming. But it's a reflection only of the one who created it. I mean, think of how overwhelming the one who created it really is. And that's the glory of God, the backdrop to anything beautiful. The backdrop to anything that's breathtaking. That's the glory of God. I want to show you, this is not the most spectacular image, but I know that many of you have seen this. But here's a picture of space. And I, and I didn't want to put the earth in there because, you know, the earth is round and I'm not so sure. So, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't want that to stick in your head. So here I am talking about it. Can you believe it? So that's, that's a snapshot, a tiny snapshot of the universe that's constantly expanding at the speed of light, 360 degrees. I mean, it's an amazing thing to just attempt to consider the vast expanse, the space. And in the same way, when gazing into our ever-expanding universe through the Hubble telescope or whatever it is you're looking through, it is the glory of God that is behind that breathtaking magnitude of creation. Because if this is breathtaking, 
What's behind it is a God who's intelligent enough to create, a God who's powerful enough to call into being, a God who's alive and well today to even keep it up and sustain it. The glory of God is beyond, behind everything that you want, you want to hang a tag called splendor or grandeur or magnificent. I mean, the impressiveness of God. That's His glory. You see, the Bible says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heavens proclaim He is glorious. You look at it, you go, wow! God created that. Imagine God. He didn't create anything bigger than Himself. He's bigger than all He created. He's greater than all that's ever been, ever been called into being. He's more powerful than anything. That is God. So when your mind runs out of, runs out of bandwidth, you know, God is so much bigger. Look at the heavens and then think about the abilities of the one who created it. The creativity of the one who created it. Think about the size of God. The impressiveness of God. When the heavens speak to you about God's attributes. Let me say this again. When the Grand Canyon or the heavens speak to you. Or the creation, the universe speak to you about God's attributes. His character, His traits, His power. That is when the heavens declare the glory of God. If this is beautiful, imagine God. If this is breathtaking, imagine heaven. It's an amazing thing to try and stretch your mind to think of the splendor of our God. Secondly, let's move away from the universe and the creation and let's think about how man glorifies God. Because it can be said that man glorifies God because through man, God's glory can be seen in things belonging to God. Things belonging to God that you and I carry in jars of clay. Do you know that science proves to you that your flesh is made of the very same substance as dirt? We are dirt. We are dust. It's like Robert was showing me in his science lesson the other day. Look, Dad, you know, humans is the same thing as dirt. We are composed of dirt. We are jars of clay. God took dirt and he turned it into clay. Well, he, I guess he spat into it. I don't know. Maybe it was just clay. And then he, the potter, started making this pot. You are this pot, this jar of clay. And he makes all these different jars, some for glory, some for lesser glory, with all these different talents that he connects to this pot and then to that pot. He is the potter and he decides what he's making the pot for. We don't tell God, the, the clay doesn't tell the potter what he wants to be. The potter tells the clay 
what he's making. So it can be said that man glorifies God because through man, God's glory can be seen in things belonging to God, things that we are carrying in these jars of clay. You see, we are earthen vessels. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 it says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made us understand that it is the brightness of His glory that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. But, verse 7, This precious treasure, this light and power that now shines within us, is held in a perishable container, or other translation says pots of clay, that is our weak bodies. Everyone can see that the glorious power within must be from God and is not our own. I'd like to read that verse again. Let's go verse 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made us understand that it is the brightness of His glory that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. But this precious treasure, Jesus Christ, this bright light, the light and power that now shines within us, is held in a perishable container, a jar of clay, that is, in our weak bodies, everyone can see that the glorious power within me, within, must be from God and is not our own. So what are these things belonging to God that the Scripture is talking about? What are these things belonging to God that's now in these jars of clay, which is you and I? There are many attributes of God that shows that show forth His glory. For instance, one of these things belonging to God and God alone is mercy. Mercy is a God attribute. It's a God trait. He is mercy full. The love of God. The Bible says God is love. The kindness of God, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God. This is an attribute belonging only to Him. Only He is perfect. A person glorifies God when his or her life reflects these godlike characters, even if it's only one of them. Even if it is just mercy flowing from you, it is that which belongs to God shining through this broken pot of clay. God is glorified when His love pours out of you this broken jar. Because that is what belongs to God, the love of God. And He's glorified when reflected through you. Just like He's glorified by how His greatness is reflected by the universe and the expanse and the Grand Canyon. When we look at it, we go, oh, wow, God, look, wow. It's all you can say, really, when you see it. Because His greatness, His wisdom, His genius, His ability is reflected in all of that. And then you walk up to somebody and you see mercy come 
through this jar of clay. It's the same thing. It's like, wow. That is God's glory reflected because it's God's attribute seeping through a human. Let's use humility as an example of one of God's many divine traits. God's humility is one of His divine traits. You see, Jesus came to teach us humility. He came to teach us humility because humility is a character trait of God. He showed us what it means to humble yourself before the will of God, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. But throughout Jesus' life, His entire life is actually framed by His humility. His humility frames everything He ever did. And you'll find it so clearly in Scriptures. And I'll give you just a little sneak peek to it. But number one, Jesus humbled Himself. How? In the beginning, by setting aside all of His heavenly privileges when He became a man. He didn't have to. He did willingly set aside all of the heavenly, eternal, divine privileges that He had in heaven. He left them there in order to come as a baby, a dependent upon those He came to save. Then we see Jesus as He grew up and He lived on earth. He humbled Himself in life on earth by taking the position of a servant. How much more humble can you be? Washing the feet of those you are training. But throughout his life, he served selflessly. And this was rooted in humility. So his incarnation was rooted in humility. His life lived here on earth was rooted in humility. But then Jesus humbled himself and became obedient, the Bible says, even unto death, death upon a cross. It was His humility that enabled Him to become obedient to God even to the point of death. It says exactly that in, in Philippians 2 verse 8. We can read through that together. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He found, He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself before God by becoming obedient to God even to the point of death death on a cross. For this reason also God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So we see his incarnation rooted in his humility. His life on earth rooted in his humility. His obedience rooted in humility. Every one of our acts of disobedience is rooted in pride. But when we humble ourselves, we live humbly and obedient before God. Even to the point of death, death upon a cross, he remained obedient because he was always humble. And then God exalted him because of his humility. God will give grace to the humble. So this is when things belonging to God are carried in jars of clay. You see, Jesus' entire life framed with humility. And when this attribute of humility starts showing in you, and when this attribute of God starts seeping through you, this jar of clay, 
is when something belonging to God shines and reflects into this world. I hope you get the picture. You see, in the same way, your life is glorifying God when traits belonging to God and God alone starts becoming evident in you. People love taking credit for these glorious gifts shining through them, which is the last thing we should do. What we need to do is continue giving God the glory even for those gifts. You see, when mercy is reflected in you, then you are giving glory to God. That's how your life glorifies God. When somebody else sees the reflection of God's mercy through you. When generosity is reflected in you, that is when God is being glorified in your life. It's when somebody else experiences they're the beneficiary of or they see somebody living sacrificially, not for themselves but for others, for God's, for God's ends, that is when a person's life is glorifying God. When love is reflected in you and through you to others, God is glorified in you. When selfless sacrifice for the benefit of others, especially your enemies, when love or selfless sacrifice, when selfless sacrifice for the benefit of others, especially your enemies, becomes your way of responding to them, that is how God is glorified. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. That is something pertaining to God. That is something belonging to God in you. And the world goes, wow, just like they do when they see the Grand Canyon. They go like, that's different. I haven't seen that before. All they've done to that person is they've used them, abused them, and hurt them. Yet they come and they sacrificially love them at their own expense. This is, wow, it's a... You don't see that, do you? You hardly ever see that. And when it, when it does appear, you, it's almost like you recognize that it has to be God, although because it couldn't be a person. See, this is when things belonging to God are carried in jars of clay. So the glory of God is the beauty and the splendor of God seeping through creation. It is the beauty and the splendor of God seeping through jars of clay. Then number two, the second, the second aspect of this diamond that has multifacets, that has multifacets, right? The first one is the beauty of God, the splendor of God seeping through creation and humanity. But number two is the question, how can we deliberately choose, therefore, to glorify God with our lives? This is a different aspect, and I think this will be new to so many but the Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10, it reads this. It says, lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, and lift them up you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of armies, He is the King of glory. I remember in the Drakensburg Boys Choir School, we did the 
Handel's Messiah every year. And this is one of the portions used within the Handel, Handel's Messiah. Who is this King of glory? Lift up ye gates. Lift up ye ancient doors that the King of glory might come in. But who is the King of glory? I want to show you that the word glory in Hebrew is the word kabad. Kabad. And the word kabad directly translated means what? Wait. Wait. That is the glory of God in Hebrew. It is used figuratively as in when there's an argument and you, or you watch a debate and you go like, well, this person's, this person's argument carries a lot more weight than that person's argument. Why? Because this person might have you know, moral superiority. This person might have greater experiences or this person might be higher educated, has, has a higher education, or this person, you know, just have a much better argument. He carries much more weight because he has so many eyewitnesses. So it carries weight. His argument. And in the same way, you can see, you can say the content of this book is very weighty. There's a lot of substance to this person. Well, there's a lot of substance to what this person is saying. It is not trivial. Don't take it lightly. So calling God the King of glory is calling Him the King with the most influence. It's saying that He's the King with the greatest importance. It is saying that He is the highest authority. He cannot be trivialized. He cannot be taken lightly. He is the King of glory the weightiest of all voices. So the conclusion here is that the person who takes God more serious than other people or the things of God more serious is the person who glorifies God more. As opposed to the person that takes the things of this life more serious than the things of God. You know, the person who finds to have a greater influence from the world versus from Scripture is the one who does not see the weight of Scriptures, but rather see the importance of the world. That is the person who does not glorify God. But to turn that around is to glorify God in your life. When the words of God spoken carries more weight than any other voice in this world, now you are glorifying this king of glory. His rule over you is way more weighty than this government under which we are. Right? In other words, when you see human rule as trivial in comparison to God's rule, well, then you are glorifying this king of glory. This is the person who deliberately glorifies God. Those who take God so serious, they will give up whatever they want so God can get what He wants. I want to close with this. Just think about it for a moment. Who are these who take God, who glorify God in their life? Those who take God so serious 
They will give up whatever they want personally so they can get what God wants. Those who attach so much weight to God's words that they are willing to say no to personal comforts in order to say yes to God's requirements. Can I give up what's comfortable and convenient for me in order to give God what He requires, what He wants? Because His requirements and His commandments are more weighty than my own personal wants and desires. This is the person who deliberately glorifies God as those who refuse to make light of Christ's great commission. When they read it in the scriptures, it is more important than anything else. They refuse to make light Christ's great commission to the point of switching off entertainment so that they can spend more time discipling in others instead. One of the reasons we don't have time for other people is because we've given ourselves to entertainment. Those who have made God, the Word of God, and the body of Christ a priority, not just an option. Those are the ones whose lives glorify God. It is impossible to say, I take God's Word seriously. It is the most weighty matter to me, and yet ignore the body of Christ completely. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord. He said, well, then take care of my sheep. And then he said it three times. Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Care for my sheep. And to the one whose life glorifies God, to that person, he finds that command more weighty than saying, you know what, I've, I just got to take, you know, take care of self. So if you are interested in deliberately glorifying God with your life, ask yourself these questions. Do you have evidence of traits that belong to God? You as a jar of clay, do you have evidences of these divine traits seeping through you? God's humility. Is this evident in your life anywhere to any degree? And is it growing? Do you have evidence of traits that belong to God? For instance, His mercy. Do you have evidence of traits that belong to God like His selfless sacrifice? How about His kindness? Do you have evidences of these traits of God, like His love for others? In other words, do you, the clay of pot, reflect the potter's traits? Do you attach weighty, serious importance to the things of God? Or do you belittle, do you play down, do you make light of, do you tone down the things of God, making the things of God an opinion, or an option, excuse me, while making the gifts and the created things more important than the one who actually created them. This is, this is the basis of all idol worship. The basis of all idol worship is finding the value in the gift instead of the giver, in what was created, the universe, instead of the one who created the universe. Let's pray. Father, I pray today.